All right, we're going to uh, kind of just jump right in here. Uh, we're going to talk about precedent, not presidents, but precedent. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, just to give you a definition right off the top, just, can I just throw you right in? Is that okay? We're just going to throw you right in. Uh, a precedent is to set an example or a rule to follow. Uh, more complex definition, right, that's not on the screen. An earlier event or action that is regarded as an example or guide to be considered in subsequent similar circumstances, right? That's the, like, Webster definition. The one that you see on the screen is, like, the Pastor Dave version, right? Set an example or a rule to follow. That's what a precedent is. A precedent has been uh, immensely important in the life of our country, um, in the life of our nation. It's been a big deal, and it still is a big deal, right? How many times did you hear uh, through uh, COVID, this is an unprecedented time, right? I got so tired of hearing that phrase, to be quite frank, right? But, but th this, is, this is a big deal. Precedent and our nation kind of go hand in hand. So uh, just to give you an example, I want to go way back to the first leader of our nation. Anybody remember who that was? Good old George, he says. Uh, George Washington, of course. Uh, George Washington had an amazing sense of uh, walking on uncharted ground, right? He even uh, is quoted as saying that. And, uh, and, and he had a, a great sense that said, I'm going to set a precedent for future leaders of this country. Uh, he, he was just very aware of, of whatever he did would set an example, right, or a rule for future leaders of the country to follow. So uh, just some uh, quick examples here. Um, he set a precedent when he limited himself to only two terms as president. He was the first president, and he said uh, people wanted to reelect him for a third one, and he said, no, I'm done, right? And, and, uh, and that eventually actually became a law or an amendment in our country. Uh, he also set a precedent by forming a cabinet. Uh, George Washington was the first one to do that. He said, I can't lead all of this. I need uh, leaders of the different sections of our government because it's too big of a job for any one man to handle. And so he uh, uh, established a, cup, a, a cabinet. Um, he also uh, set a precedent by saying, uh, Mr. President and nothing more. That's a, a famous quote, if you can just uh, do a quick Google search. Um, people wanted to call him, this is funny, His Excellency. Uh, people wanted to call him His Highness. People wanted to call him the protector of our liberties, right? And, uh, and they were trying to debate and figure out, like, it was a big controversy, I guess, like how they were, what they were going to call him. And he was like, call me Mr. President and nothing more, right? So he set a, a precedent for what the president would be called. Yeah, I'll say that six times fast. Um, he also um, set forward a precedent that it's important for the leader of our country to get away, to retreat. It's a big job. It's a demanding job. And, uh, and the best way then to, to do that is to regularly take breaks. <laughs> and so he would retreat to his home in Mount Vernon, and that was a big deal. And that became a, a regular, ongoing uh, kind of precedent for future um, leaders of our nation. Um, the reason we're talking about that is because Genesis 1 sets a, a precedent. Uh, not so much in, in the sense of like a rule to follow, uh, but in the sense of like Genesis 1 sets our expectations. Uh, Genesis 1 sets our expectations of who God is and what God is going to do. Uh, Genesis 1 uh, sort of sets our expectations even for who we are and what God desires for us to do. You see that? So Genesis 1 is really immensely important. If you're trying to figure out the story, if you're trying to look at the story, Genesis 1 begins to just shape and form our expectations of who God is and what he's going to do. 
So uh, we're going to look at four different precedents, uh, rules or examples that get followed throughout the rest of the story. Uh, four different precedents, and then at the end, I'm going to ask you to just uh, just kind of prepping you ahead of time, right? I'm going to I'm going to ask you to just turn to a neighbor and say, "Here's the one that stands out most to me, and why." And uh, and if you're on Zoom and Facebook, I'll ask you to just chime in and say, "Hey, here's the one that stands out most to me, and here's why." Precedent number one. Ready? <sighs> Here we go. God confronts chaos and disorder. God confronts chaos and disorder. This is beautiful, right? Uh, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3. First three verses, we get this precedent, this expectation of who God is and what he's going to do. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God confronts chaos and disorder. Right? He confronts things that are without form and void. He confronts darkness, in other words. And, and just see how he does it, right? He just speaks. Uh, God just says a word, and things change. God speaks, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and order takes the place of disorder. Um, God speaks, and all of a sudden, uh, there, there is um, organization in the place of chaos. Uh, this is a powerful precedent for us to enjoy, for us to celebrate, right? Um, we all have uh, chaotic, disorderly things in our lives. And it's one thing to go to, like, you know, think about your house, right? Everybody thinks about their house, and there's probably one uh, little nook or cranny in your house that is chaos and disorderly. Anyone? I'm seeing your smiles. That tells me yes. If you're on Zoom and Facebook, you can even tell me what part of your house is chaotic and disorderly. But, but then we think about the other aspects of our life, and we think about our relationships, and we think about, our, um, uh, we, we think about our, uh, the way that our life actually works, and we think about just how yesterday went. Uh, we think about the bigger picture of the world around us. And, and it's not too hard to really think about uh, chaotic and disorderly things in our lives. And so this is an immensely powerful and hope-filled precedent, right? That, that God confronts chaos and disorder. That you aren't alone as you try to fight against chaos and disorder. That, that God is doing the same thing as you. Uh, God is in this fight against chaos and and disorder. He's in a fight against um, things that are without form and void. He's in a fight against darkness. Precedent number one. Precedent number two, um, uh, that we should expect goodness. We should expect goodness. This is super cool, right? You get just a hint of badness in those first couple of verses, um, and then God starts to speak, and what happens? Badness just quickly fades, uh, badness, um, uh, darkness, right, things without form and void, they are shoved farther and farther and farther away into the distance uh, to the point where you don't even think anymore about the things that are without form and void. You don't think about the darkness. You're only thinking about the goodness. Um, uh, the word good here, it means pleasant. It means agreeable, uh, agreeable to our hearts and our minds. Um, the word good means excellent. You could probably use any one of those, and that would be fine. Um, we just got to see this, right? This is pretty different than our expectation. How many of you woke up this morning saying, oh, I just can't wait to see what good thing happens? 
I mean, some of you probably did because some of you are overly optimistic, and that's super cool, right? Some of us struggle to be optimistic. Some of us are a little bit more on the pessimistic side. And so we just sort of live in this culture that expects what? Badness. We expect bad things to happen. We expect things to go wrong. And so Genesis uh, 1 here is incredibly powerful. Just get into the rhythm of this, and and you're going to start to expect goodness. Genesis 1 verse 4, God saw that the light was good. Genesis 1 verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1 verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, 17 and 18, God set the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Uh, Genesis 1.25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. See, now it's on the screen, but you would have been able to spit that out even if it wasn't on the screen, right? You just get into this rhythm. That's the, that's the really cool part about the way that Genesis is written. It's, it's kind of this, this rhythmic pattern that happens. And so, so what happens is the, the darkness fades away. You stop thinking about it. The, the things that are without form and void, the, the chaos and the disorderly things, you just, you just kind of stop thinking about it. And you just expect there to be goodness. Um, <laughs> we would probably be... Uh, better off if we just kind of keep coming back to Genesis 1 every morning? If we would just sort of wake up and read Genesis 1 and let the chaos and the disorderly things of yesterday fade away, let the darkness fade away, and instead just enjoy the goodness of today. To expect God to do good things. Uh, we begin to expect goodness as we, as we read the beginning of the biggest story. Uh, by extension, I think it's good to just kind of point this out. By extension, we can expect that God is good. Um, if he removes chaos and bad things and disorderly things, if, if he makes everything and, and everything that he makes is good or very good, then we can, extent, by extension, say that God himself is probably good. <laughs> Uh, God himself is probably pleasant. Uh, He is agreeable to our hearts and to our minds. Uh, He is excellent in every uh, every, uh, form of the word. God is good. Uh, Precedent number three. Uh, You are a masterpiece. Go ahead and say it. I'm a masterpiece. Yeah, anybody struggle to say that? (laughs) You are a masterpiece. You are God's handiwork, right? His workmanship. I'm kind of reaching into Ephesians chapter 2 here, but but honestly, like, I don't know how best to explain in a short form uh, what's happening here in Genesis chapter 1. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, right? His masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? We are his 
workmanship, his masterpiece. Uh, just have to notice and kind of draw this out that the rhythm, right, that I, I mentioned, the pattern that you get used to, it shifts in chapter uh, 1, verse 26. Now, let me read it again. Uh, 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is super cool, right? Um, everything else, uh, God just speaks, and it comes into being. And then all of a sudden, you get to verse 26, and it's like the record's screeching, right? right? Because the rhythm changes, um, God is trying to draw out for us that you are a masterpiece, that you are massively important to him. This is beautiful, right? Um, God says, let us. So uh, he actually pauses before he creates. Everything else, he just speaks it into being. But when he creates you, when he creates us, he pauses. He thinks. He considers what he is doing. Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. That's a massively complex term, and uh, we could probably be here all day just uh, preaching on just that one idea that we are created in God's image and his likeness. Uh, but what it means in a short form is simply that you are created to be like God. You're created to look like God. You're created to think like God. You're created to act like God. You're created in his uh, likeness, in his image. No other part of creation is made in his image, but you are because you're God's masterpiece. Um, the, the other part in here, right, uh, God blessed them. Did you catch that? No other part of creation was specifically blessed. But Genesis 1 draws that out and says, oh, and God blessed them. Super beautiful, right, that God blesses uh, humanity, people, when he creates them. Chapter 2 goes even further and, uh, and tells us that God plays in the dirt, uh, it, it, we'll read that next week, I believe. And, and what it says, right, is that God, um, uh, he didn't just speak people into being. He actually reached down and he, and he formed Adam out of the dirt that was there. And then uh, he went even a step further and he breathed his own breath into humanity. No other part of creation had the breath of God in them. God just spoke and it was animated. It came into being. But, but what happens here, right, is God forms and shapes the man just the way that he wants him to be. And then God breathes his own breath into humanity. It's just like so crystal clear here as you look at the beginning part of the story that you are a masterpiece. You are God's handiwork. You are special and unique. And God also has a special and unique role or purpose for humanity. Um, they're, they're, they're specifically told two different things, right? That they're to rule and reign over everything and that they are to reproduce, right? And so God gives them a very specific role that he wants them to do. For me, as I just kind of consider that this precedence, uh, it, it means a couple of different, this precedent, sorry. Uh, it, means, uh, it, it means really two or three things. Uh, first of all, I don't want to live like the rest of the world because I'm not like the rest of the world. <laughs> I am a unique masterpiece. I'm a unique workmanship of God. And so I don't want to be like the rest of the world. I want to be like God. I want to live like God. I want to live like Jesus lived. Uh, second thing is just to say, as I had you do earlier, I am a masterpiece. <laughs> so just remember, like, okay, the screw-ups and the mess-ups, like, that's not the truest part of me. The, the truest part of me is that, is that God created me to be a masterpiece. And, and along the same lines is to simply say, I am good. 
I mean, just see that, right? After he creates humanity, God takes a step back, and he's looking at everything, and he doesn't just say, oh, yeah, that's all good, pleasant, agreeable, excellent. No, he says it is what? Very good. It is very pleasant. You are very agreeable. You are very excellent in the eyes of God. I mean, it's just incredibly beautiful, right, as you consider this, this precedent of, of how you were created and, uh, and, and what God thinks of you. Uh, last one, precedent number four. Relationships matter. Relationships matter. Uh, this dips into chapter two, and, uh, and, and I, but I couldn't just like leave it unsaid or, or unnoticed. Um, chapter two, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, and I will make a helper fit for him. Now, just like uh, in chapter one, verse 26, when the record player kind of screeches, right, you get the same effect right here in chapter two, 18. I mean, just see this, right? It's a massive shift um, we get all this buildup of good, 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 very good. And then all of a sudden, chapter 2, verse 18, not good. Right? It stands out like a sore thumb here. And the thing that's not good is that Adam doesn't have a relationship. This isn't to say, um, this is not exclusively, I don't think, talking about marriage. Uh, but it is to say that relationships matter. And so guess what? When you, when, 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 uh, when you are losing sleep because of a broken relationship, um, when you are frustrated by a relationship that isn't going the way that you want it to go, when that conversation just sticks in your brain and you just can't shake it, guess what? It's because relationships matter, and they matter to God. Um, uh, it is not good that the man should be alone. God doesn't desire for us to live lonely lives. He desires for us to be in relationship, in community with one another. Um, he desires for us to be able to, to look at one another in the eye and have conversation, surface level conversation, deep conversation, in between conversation. If you're an, uh, an, an introvert, you probably think about the one or two relationships that you value most. If you're an extrovert, you probably think, oh man, that, that, that last big gathering that we had, that was so awesome. Right? But, but either way that you go, you're thinking about how relationships matter because God created them to matter. They matter to him. It is not good that man should be alone. Okay, everybody okay? Four precedents. Uh, I want you to take just like, I don't know, I'll give you a minute. So you got to do this quick, all right? Everybody uh, in your own brain, get into your own brain. Uh, which precedent stands out most to you? Um, and, uh, and, and there's the four up there, right? So uh, I'll give you like 10 seconds to get which one matters most to you. And then uh, just turn to a neighbor, turn to a stranger, whatever it is, but turn to somebody and just say, hey, here's the precedent that stands out most to me and why. And if you're on Zoom and Facebook, would you just kind of chime in and let us know which precedent uh, stands out most to your own heart today? Uh, go ahead and do that. Okay, so uh, sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt you and just, just kind of say, um, and, and I think it's important to point out, we'll, we'll talk more and more about this as we go. Um, these are things that Jesus comes to fight for. These are the reasons that Jesus has sent. Uh, because God doesn't want chaos to win, so he sends Jesus. Um, God wants you to know what goodness truly looks like, so he sends Jesus. 
God wants you to know how massively important you are. So he sends Jesus. And God wants to be um, the, the mender and the healer of relationships. And so he sends Jesus. Um, these are precedents, right, that, that God picks up over and over and over again throughout the whole story. And these are only four, right? We're going to look at a whole bunch of these kind of things as we go along. But, but it's just important to kind of uh, point our hearts and our minds to Jesus and remember that these are the things that Jesus came for. Uh, let's, uh, let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for this, this opening chapter. Oh, man. Uh, thanks so much for uh, giving us uh, the, the bigger picture of the biggest story. Uh, thank you so much for um, the clarity that it brings, uh, the way that it reframes how we look at ourselves. It reframes how we look at you. It reframes how we look at this world. And so we, uh, we really have nothing to say except thank you. Uh, thank you for what you have created. Uh, thank you for valuing us. Thank you first and foremost for for who you are and all that you have done since before the beginning of time. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.